Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Well, hey, you can argue who the best Astros second baseman is of all time or who the best starting pitcher is, and you can try to make those arguments back and forth, but there is no argument. Our next guest, Steve Sparks, without question, the best champagne celebration MC slash karaoke DJ in Astros history. Yeah, we welcome in the man who added the catchphrase, Sparky getting wet, into my lexicon. What? <laughs> uh, how you guys doing? Doing great. Oh, you can't, you can't be doing better. Has it sunk in what the Astros just, just accomplished? Because I don't know if it fully has yet for me. I mean, everybody talking about it nonstop. It's just been so fun. Hey, this is the best. I mean, you can celebrate it throughout the whole offseason. Hey, for the rest of our lives, right? I mean, Astros World yeah, Series right. 2017, you know, so, hey, you can always, uh, we can always celebrate that. But you're right. It really hasn't sunk in. Just uh, Astros World Series champions after 56 years. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, we, we saw it coming, didn't we? We saw, we saw the improvements 2015. We saw. Uh, some guys really starting to come of age. Then when they added the pieces and we saw Bregman uh, get into that mix as well, man, it just, it all came together perfectly. I heard an interview with Bregman and he just said that uh, when they went up at Saturday Night Live, he saw Altuve, he went up to Miley Cyrus and asked for a selfie photograph with her. Uh, he said that was the first time he had seen Altuve asked, actually asked somebody else for a selfie. So that's, that's where we are with the Astros right now. <laughs> that's so funny. You know, toward the end of the year, one day I saw, I saw Altuve. We were uh, back in one of the offices out, uh, right outside of the clubhouse, and there was two or three of us talking, and Altuve had his phone with him, and he was so giddy about uh, his Instagram followers. or kept, kept ratcheting up. This is toward the end of the playoffs, and he said, I think it had to do something with uh, when he said he literally loved Justin Verlander, he was so excited that it jumped up 50,000 and he was getting close to 750,000 followers on Instagram. That's when I knew, man, he's starting to get caught up in, in, in all this stuff. And uh, I think everybody enjoyed it. And I think that's what they needed to do. Hey, well, he's almost to the million mark now, right? So that's where he's climbing towards. That's- and then, yeah, if you're making friends and getting selfies with Miley Cyrus and yeah. the Backstreet Boys, you'll jump right. up pretty quickly, right? Yeah, he's going to be up there. He's going to be rubbing shoulders with everybody. Everybody wants... I mean, they can put him in his in their pocket. Why, why, why wouldn't you want to be friends with Altuve? Yeah, Leslie Jones had him on her lap on Saturday Night Live, right? <laughs> that was awesome. Hey, somebody said they literally love Verlander, but as somebody else said to Correa in the locker room after Game 7, referring to him and his new fiance, I'm, I'm going to quote this. He said, I want to marry both of you. I want to taste both of you, unquote. And I'm pretty upset, Steve, because you, ru- you ruined the wedding toast I had planned for the Correas. <laughs> uh, I didn't mean to steal it. I saw it on your napkin at the bar the other night. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, you know, it's kind of goofy. Uh, Matt Bolts, our producer engineer, you know, he just goes, how does some of that crap come out of your mouth? And I go, I don't know. And then. My kids, uh, I've got two of my kids in college, one out of college, and some of their friends will say stuff, and, and they'll just go, you know what? We lived it our whole life, so we, we're kind of tired of it, but uh, it's just the way I am. I don't know. I just, a lot of times there's no filter. Uh, I was always kind of worried going into the booth for even actual games, not to say something that I would regret, let's say, or that the, the organization would regret. So Reed Ryan tells me, go, go down there and have fun. So uh, you know what? I mean, I just want everybody to – kind of get the flavor of what goes on when teams grind so hard for that long of a season and how happy and, and joyful and, and childlike everybody is when uh, they get a chance to 
to reach a dream like that. Hey, I just want to remind everybody, Steve's on his way back from Oklahoma, so he's on his cell phone. That's why you hear the, the signal a little bit. We're, we're lucky to get him. And, Steve, what about the parade, man? What was that like? You know, I didn't get to go. Uh, I had a commitment at Sam Houston State, my alma mater. Uh, my wife and daughter were in the parade, and they met me at Sam Houston later on that night. But uh, I watched it on TV from a hotel room in Huntsville. You know, got firsthand accounts from my wife and, and friends, and just like everybody else. I mean, I don't know if you guys went or not, but so happy for the city. I mean, with everything that everybody's gone through, but just, you know, the 56 years of being loyal fans, the there's so many people and people thinking back to, to maybe somebody that's passed away that they used to spend time with at, at the Astrodome or, or, or just the memories that you might have with your dad going to the ball game. Just all of that stuff combined just makes me really happy for Astros fans in the city. Yeah, I had a chance to go down to the parade and that was fantastic. The, the people talked about, hey, the first one only happens once, the first championship. And right. I want to ask you, what has been the reaction that you've gotten from somebody that it hits you the hardest, you know, since the Astros won it, a fan, maybe a, an email from a fan or a message or somebody that you ran to ran across on the street. What struck you since, since the, the last couple of weeks? The first thing that popped in my mind when you just asked me that was after the clubhouse celebration, after the Astros won the world series, going back up to the radio booth. And I always had a habit of when I saw the Astros fans, in their jerseys in Los Angeles or whether it be New York or Boston, just saying go Astros to somebody or whatever. And just, you know, everybody just passes and everybody's so happy to be on the road and, and catch some of these games. But I remember a couple of times uh, having conversations after just saying go, go Astros as we pass. And then we end up talking and people telling me firsthand stories of, you know, the Colt 45s, their dad always telling them the history of that. And then their dad, I remember this one lady telling me about her dad teaching her how to keep score at the Astrodome and watching all those games and telling me about how much she loved Terry Poole and, and Bob Watson and, and Billy Doran and, and all of those guys and how much it means for everybody to, to see so many homegrown players in this organization. We were talking about that five, six years ago. There wasn't a whole lot to talk about at the major league level. So we were trying to keep everybody informed of those first rounders with Correa and Springer and those guys coming up through the system and how, important they were going to be to, to form a nucleus and, and hopefully be able to build a, the type of team who could sustain uh, some kind of a, a run, that 10-year sustainability. When you're, when you're building with, from within and you pick out a few free agents that might fit perfectly, and, man, they did it perfectly. It looks like they're going to be good for a long time. And, I, you know, who knows? Sometimes it's a crapshoot when you get to the, the playoffs on how healthy you are, and sometimes a little bit of luck comes into play. But – Looks like they're going to be in the hunt for years to come, and I think that's that's exciting in itself. And I think I don't know what what you guys think and how many games you guys went to during the course of this last season. We saw the attendance really start to ratchet. We heard the noise, and we start to hear how smart the fans got, when to get loud at the right times, and it just felt like it was a great baseball town again. And that's what I'm excited about. Next season, man, it's going to be a blast. And we saw that with the Astros in the late 90s through, you know, the World Series team of 05. And, and then, of course, it went through the lull. And that's maybe what I kind of want to ask you because this resurgence of baseball fever here in Houston. When Jim Crane bought yeah. the club, he basically, he and Jeff Luno tore everything down, right. rebuilt through the minor league system, like you said, added all of these things. Do you think that they've been validated now? Look at how much of baseball is copying. I mean, you look over the Atlanta Braves, look at what Chicago White Sox. Now the Astros have won a title. It's a copycat league. 
I mean, this is probably what the future is going to be. I think it is. You know, you gotta you gotta evaluate what you have. And I think everybody has realized that you can have a, a two or three year run with certain type of players if you catch lightning in a bottle. But to be able to be one of those model type of organizations to be able to to keep this going for a long time, you you've got to draft well. You've got to make savvy trades. And what the Astros did when they really had to is they they spent a lot of money internationally. Uh, one of the keys to this whole plan that Jeff Luno came in was, was Mr. Crane going to be able to remain patient with uh, all the other owners, you know, uh, having all the board meetings probably four times a year and people questioning what they were having to absorb, you know, the pain of watching teams lose and is this really going to work? But proof is in the pudding. Everybody's going to copy this model because this is the way, and I, I'm, I'm very confident, this is the way you're going to be able to have a good – five, 10, 15 year runs is when you do it from the farm system. The farm system has to be strong because you're going to lose players to free agency. The Astros are going to start feeling that after next season. And are the Forrest Whitley's, are the Kyle Tuckers and all the other guys, Freudus Nova, all these guys coming up through the system, are they going to be able to plug them in and still try to, you know, maybe add a piece here and there to keep this thing going? And I think they can I don't really want want to think ahead to like possibly losing some players, but I guess maybe if you were just like like you said in a year or two, who who's your number one, number two, number three priority that you you have to have as Astros going forward in the future, knowing that they're not going to be able to sign everybody. Well, I'm thinking up the middle right now. Just obviously, when you have somebody like Altuve and Correa up the middle and Springer in center field, I think you got to keep that together. And Bregman in there, I'd love to see him to. Uh, I don't, I don't know, rework the deal, but extend Altuve and give him a deal that he can appreciate. And, and you know, he really loves Houston. But I think there's got to be times every once in a while when he's around a batting cage and another player who's half the player he is is making twice as much. It, it has to sink in every once in a while that that's the case. Now, I know I know it was the security, it, it, the things uh, when the Astros offered him that deal, and it was a great deal for both sides at the time. But he's certainly proven to be a, a better player than – the money that he's making right now compared to everybody else. So I'd love to see them keep him. I'd love to see him re-up Keichel. I, I think he's just going to be an anchor to this staff. you got Verlander for two more years, and you got other controllable players in the in the rotation and in the bullpen for a while. But up the middle, that's that's what I like to see. I, I want him to lock Springer, Altuve, Correa, and Bregman. I want those guys to be around for a long time and work off of them. Steve, you talked about the Astros' uh being like uh, the team that everybody looks up to. And uh, you can see that just with the, the, you know, the Red Sox hire Alex Cora, the Yankees are, as we're talking to you right now, they're courting Carlos Beltran. They, they're taking a lot of the, the Astros coaching staff away. Yeah. Alonso Powell. Yeah. I mean, there's all these guys are, are going somewhere else because everybody looks at the Astros all of a sudden. I mean, it's just bizarre because it was just four years ago where they had the worst three year run oh, no. in, in major league baseball history. <laughs> I know. You know, sometimes sometimes you have to hit that nadir, just that that punch in the gut to be able to really appreciate what we can now. We're, You guys are – I'm smiling. I'm in my car right now. I'm smiling as we're talking, just thinking about how joyous uh, of an occasion what we just witnessed a couple of weeks ago is and, and what we have to look forward to. I mean, we've got a very – I say we – I mean, this Astros team is very entertaining. It's a lot of great athletes, great baseball players. A lot of good minds in the clubhouse, like you're talking about these coaches that are being coveted by other teams. Great minds. And, and, and to be able to use those minds to maximize the talent that they already have, it's a, 
it's a great blend. I'm so proud uh, to be a part of it just because I think they've done it right, and I hope they continue to do it right. And, and I, I'm very confident they will. And there's a lot of good baseball men out there, and I think Joe Espada uh, coming in uh, on the staff and a couple of guys that they promoted for the, the minor league system when, with Doug White and Jeff Albert as a hitting coach and a, and a bullpen coach. Great minds. I mean, you're talking about them, and they're very involved in, in the, the development of these players, and they have nothing but great things to say about these coaches. So to give them an opportunity and to continue to, to push everybody's limits on, on how much information they can take and put into practice, I think it's, it's going to be great. I wanted to go take a look back at the postseason here with you because, again, like we're all still celebrating. We're all still excited. Astros world champions. But there were so many great games this this postseason. And also the way that the Astros did this, they went through the Red Sox, they went through the Yankees, and they went through the Dodgers. I mean, these are baseball dynasties. I mean, doesn't that even make it sweeter? It does. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the storied franchises and even to have those two elimination games against the Yankees, you know, and and come out on top to get to the World Series. And sometimes I think you're able to relax once you get to the World Series, maybe. But it's just, I mean, so many times that a lot of these players are in their backyard, and I'm sure you guys had this as kids. It's like my dream is to play in the World Series. You know, you're you're playing wiffle ball back there, and you're replicating maybe game seven of the World Series. You're playing in it. So you got there, and then I think what you're able to do is go out there and let your natural talent take over. The Astros had great information. I was privy to some of the information that they had to to be able to capitalize on maybe some deficiencies of the other teams or whatever it may be. But, you know, Carlos Beltran, some people may think that it got overplayed on, on what, a, what an addition he was to the clubhouse, but the information that he was able to pass on to, say, Correa, Altuve, and Bregman that's going to last the rest of their Astros careers, you can't, you can't put a price tag on that. They learn in a different way how to look at the game in a different way that they're going to be able to use forever. It's going to become second nature to them from now on, how to look at video, what to look for, and is a pitcher tipping his pitches, how to look for that type of thing. Just little things to give you edges, I think is just going to be huge for the team for, for a long, long time. Yeah, I want to get into Beltron because, yeah, I just, just called it quits. And what's the story or stories that you go back to when you look at this year with Beltron off the field, behind the scenes, the stuff that he was doing, the, the stuff that, you know, maybe has been out there, or maybe isn't. Give us a couple of Beltron stories that you said that just tell the whole thing. Well, the first thing that came to my mind was uh, the unfortunate situation when he's in the World Series that Guriel with his mistake that he made on the bench after the home run off of you, Darvish. And the next day, Guriel, I don't know how many people know, he was crushed. He was embarrassed. He was crushed. He felt like he let the team down, the organization, his family. I, I don't know if we can even go into whether or not he knew that that was bad. You know, I think it was more natural from, from what they in Cuba kind of just do. You know, when, when they're talking, he's just saying, hey, that's the first time that I've hitting a home run off of a player from Japan or from China or whatever since I've been over back here in the, in the United States. But whatever, whatever. The, the, the next day, there was a little powwow. Alex Cora was involved, Carlos Beltran, Guriel, Marvin Gonzalez, and Altuve. And Beltran was holding court. And he was walking Guriel through that whole process, teaching him what he needed to do to get through that and to, to feel the joy that he already had in this game and not to let that be squelched. I thought that was just beautiful. Whether or not it enhanced his performance, 
but just to learn as a person how to get through mistakes was it wasn't going to there's good consequences obviously next year at the beginning of the year with his suspension but he's going to live with that you know for a long time people are going to remember his mistake so beltron walking through that and how to get through that just practical ways for him to become accountable in, in how to word what he needs to say to show his his regret in, in all of those things and little things like that he had one-on-one conversations bregman would tell me you know, I would just be saying, hey, what are you working on right now? Just so I could look for something. And he just said, oh, my gosh, man, I just had an hour-long conversation. This was when the Astros were playing the White Sox with Beltron before the game. I was almost late to the national anthem because I didn't want to leave the, the information he was giving me. And he was taking that out to the game. And part of that was Beltron teaching Bregman how to lift the ball that was on the inside part of the plate. Have you ever seen the, the back foot of a hitter where it looks like it almost does a scissor kick. And the reason they do that is they can't, They want all their weight to stop at the front foot so they can clear their hands and go inside of their body along their chest more quickly so they don't drift out toward the pitcher. And Beltron's teaching him how to lift that inside pitch that he couldn't get to, or he would always roll over and ground out to third base. And lo and behold, he got Chris Sale twice on those types of pitches where he was able to do that little scissor kick with the back leg, clear some space, and he took him deep, and one of them was, man, that one in game four against Boston. They, you, know, you can't ask for a much bigger hit than that home run off of one of the best pitchers in baseball in a bigger moment for the Astros. And, and he's a stud, man. He can put things into practice, but it's those little things that Carlos Beltran was able to show guys. Beltran's going to be able to pass that on to Kyle Tucker probably. Yeah, and that's what the thing is, is you, you, those implications that, that Beltran – uh, gave to you are going to, you know, that, that can, that's going to go on and on with, you know, you got guys on this right. team that eat this stuff up like Correa and Altuve and Springer and Bregman, and those guys get to just pass all that information along. And so this, this right. has a ripple effect through the Astros organization. It could be for years to come. That's right. That's right. It's good. Yeah, it is. It's going to last for a long time. And it just reminds me of what A.J. Hinch told Alex Bregman when he went two for 25 or whatever, when he started his big league career, he said, this is the best thing that could have ever happened. Because when you're a mainstay on this team, you're going to be able to tell some rookie what you went through and how you got out of it and not to panic. And it's little things like that because Beltron's experienced so much in the game that he's able to pass along to these guys like Bregman's going to be able to later because you learn a lot from failure and Beltron's failed quite a bit, even though he's probably a Hall of Fame player and he's able to pass along how you get through these things. It's a long season. It's by sticking to a routine and doing things right all the time. And that's interesting that you say that too, because uh, or when Carlos Beltran retired, he wrote that Muchas Gracias Baseball, and it's all about how he wants to. He wanted to give back to players. He wanted to share his knowledge of the game. And that's the one lasting you know contribution that he wants to have with the game. And yeah, I, like you said, there are numerous examples of it. I, I just think back on what Tom Verducci wrote during w- one of the playoff series when Carlos Correa had that that hit off of Araldis Chapman that was a fastball, and Carlos Beltran had shared to him before the game that or earlier in the season that the way that you hit a fastball, you know, move up a little bit before in batting practice, 
you know, and, right. and get used to hitting it at that faster speed, you know. So that was something, and you probably obviously heard that story, Sparky, and just one of those things yeah, so that, that he was able to utilize, and that helped him facing somebody who throws 100 miles per hour like a Rawls Chapman. But Carlos right. Beltran had gotten that from Barry Bonds, who a lot of people were afraid right. to approach and, and ask about. So when uh, Beltran was with the San Francisco Giants for that short time, there was an office next to the clubhouse where Willie Mays, Barry Bonds, and Willie McCovey would have their, you know, they just hang out in there. And you know, Beltron found out that they were in there. And in that time he was there, he started going over there with one question every day. And he would spend 10 to 15 minutes in there. And that was one of the things that he learned from Bonds or Willie Mays about how to, to take that batting practice when you're going to face a hard thrower from such a closer distance to slow things down. But he learned something every single day. And he learned that those guys, even though it seemed like they were playing in a different era and the game seemed different, were able to pass along information to Carlos that he was able to take on the field on a daily basis. And that's when he really realized that's what this game's about. It's about passing things along. And that's what he wanted to do. Once he got into that situation, he kind of changed his career from being so much of a, probably more of a selfish type player to be more selfless and to be able to pass things along. And when you do that, I don't know if you guys have been in a situation when you teach you learn a lot more yourself, and it reminds you of things when you're talking to guys about sometimes the fundamentals or little tricks or, you know, and then a question that somebody may ask you triggers something in your mind that you may have forgotten. So those daily conversations become commonplace, and everybody sharpens each other. And he learned that in San Francisco with Willie Mays and Bonds and Willie McCovey. What did it feel like to, to call that Game 5 in the World Series? You know what? The, the one thing I remember more than anything is I rarely sat down during those games. I was standing up a lot just because of the excitement. I was, you know, kind of nervous, nervous energy, but at the same time just excited about all the blows that were traded. I'm talking about game five in particular, just the way they just fought each other. And both teams, just so much respect for both teams, the way they fought back. And I was really impressed with the Dodgers and how disciplined they stayed in, in crunch time. Down by three runs in the ninth inning, they were able to tie it up with good discipline at bats that we saw. The Astros were able to do so many times during the course of the season when they'd bat around and have those five, six-run innings. The Dodgers could do that, too. So just to see two teams that are at the top of their game using analytics and, and learning how to, to be patient, even when situations look dire and stick to their game plan, that was, that was what was exciting. Just the sheer excitement of those games, the noise level. I'd pull off one of my earphones every once in a while just to be able to feel and hear the, the crowd and even feel the vibration on my desk where my scorebook was, uh, man, it was really exciting. And, you know, as a, a former player, I mean, you don't get those types of those feelings like you did when you were a player. But, I mean, I think the fans and myself included, I, I consider myself a fan that uh, I felt it. You know, it felt a lot like being a player because you, you felt like you were invested. That series, like you said, the Astros and the Dodgers were so evenly matched. It's already being talked right. about, one of the classic World Series. And what you're saying, both of these teams have young organizations. I mean, you know, we know October's kind of a dicey thing, but these two teams could potentially meet again. They're both young and they're both really good. Both well coached. I think they're great organizations. And I think both teams still have good, really good farm systems. They don't have those crazy contracts on their books. Those just didn't even feel right at the time when some of the teams were signing guys six, seven, eight years. It just didn't make a whole lot of sense. And it feels like it's hamstrung a lot of, a lot of teams. 
I'm happy that the Astros aren't in that situation because they can remain flexible and they can pivot and, and go different directions much more easily with, if it feels like it's going to make their roster better because they, you know, they, they're not stuck with somebody for seven, eight years at 20, 25 million a year. I've talked a lot on this show about, you know, just having the man crush on George Springer, Sparky. And it's, it's uh, yeah. something that's uh, hard to ignore what this guy is as a human being when you're around him. Talk a little bit about George Springer, who he is, the, the MVP of the World Series, and I, I couldn't have been happier that him, of all people, got, got that. You know what? Uh, I was with his fiance before the game, before we got on the bus. She was going downstairs to see our traveling secretary to get these armbands to make sure her parents had these armbands to get on the field after the game. She goes, I just want to make sure my parents are able to get down on the field in case George gets the MVP. You know, she had a, she had a premonition, you know, and I was talking to George's dad about, man, if they win this thing, George has a chance. And he, was, and he was adamant about saying he doesn't care. George does not care. And I will back that up a million percent. Even the Astros in 2015 or 16 or, or whatever it was, when things are, weren't going good and he was still doing okay, the team could have won. And I'm talking about getting on the plane after a game. He could have had an 0 for 4, an error in the outfield and the team won, and he is as excited for his teammates as anybody I've ever been around baseball. And I'm talking about former teammates, anybody. He was generally happy when the team won. He didn't care about his own numbers or stats. I just think that's a perfect teammate. I mean, he knows he's good, obviously, but he's all about winning. And I, I've never seen anybody to that degree been around somebody that close to see that exemplified more so than George. Justin Verlander had an Instagram post the other day basically saying these last two months, let's see, arrive in Houston, uh, win a World Series, go to Italy, marry Kate Upton. You know, he's had a, a great <laughs> last couple of months, right? What, what was it oh, like on that. that August 31st when you got the news that Justin yeah. Verlander was going to be a Houston Astro and then rank his postseason performance of, of what he did for the Astros contributing to their postseason yeah. run and where that ranks in history? I'm not good enough to, to rank it in history. All, all I know is he changed the vibe. He changed the confidence level, the confidence level of his team, who was already really good. But everybody's minds were scrambled. And I don't know if you remember the game before the Astros acquired him. The Astros were playing the Rangers in Tampa, and A.J. had gotten tossed in the first or second inning. And I was talking to A.J., I think on the plane, when we were coming back to Houston, and he was telling me that he was on the phone a lot with what was going on with Verlander. So I had I had my hopes up pretty big. So did so did AJ. He thought there was a good chance that they were going to be able to make a play unless something kind of crazy went in. So he may have been a little bit overconfident once we've heard the stories now how it came down to the last couple of seconds. But I kind of had a feeling that it was going to happen and I was exuberant when I I think I saw it on social media that night. A lot of people were texting, you know, and uh I texted AJ and AJ texted back. Everybody was just kind of going back and forth around to the team and the organization about how excited everybody was. And now, too bad, I think I read something where he didn't want an off day that next day. The Astros had an off day because he just wanted to see Verlander in an Astros uniform. That's how excited everybody was because they knew they had that bona fide stud at the top of the rotation. And not just the talent, but the attitude. He was a great teammate when he came over. He never leaves the bench. He's always asking questions, doesn't act like a know-it-all. He was just really good for this team. He was a, not only just a breath of fresh air, but I think he was 
he was what changed the game for the Astros. And I think if you look at any one thing, why the Astros won the World Series or went as deep as they did in the playoffs, I think you certainly have to point right at Justin Verlander in that acquisition on the 31st. You know, I had to uh, kind of laugh there listening to you uh, describe that because I remember when that trade came down, they first were reporting Justin Verlander's an Astro. Then they said, oh, the trade has been vetoed, which was misinformation. They said the trade has yeah. been vetoed. So about for 15, 20 minutes, people were panicking and saying, oh, well, Justin <laughs> Verlander's you know, not going to be an Astro. And then the trade comes down the final two seconds. Justin Verlander's an Astro. It got me ready for the postseason, though, because that was basically what it yeah. was like, going through these seven-game series yeah. and, and the swings back and forth. So that, that was another great thing about that. But also wanted to ask about, like, your former major league pitcher, I mean, just to see how he's improved and, and gotten better. What he was doing now was what he was doing in his MVP season and, you know, had a slight regression there. But usually pitchers get to around their mid-30s. They're just not the same pitcher. And Justin Verlander, I mean, was simply phenomenal from his time that he put on an Astros uniform. Well, I don't want to take away anything from what the Tigers were doing or Justin Verlander was doing before the trade because he was an animal for two months before the Astros got him. And I think a lot of it, when you talk to him, had to do with getting healthy, number one, where he was able to take on his type of mechanics to become a power pitcher again. He wasn't sure he had that still in the tank because he had to change a couple of things mechanically just to be able to try to put the ball where he wanted because he wasn't able to explode and do some of the things he was used to doing. And he didn't have it in reserve when he needed it like he did for a couple of years because it started with a, a, a tear in his abdominal you know, you change things when you get hurt, and you just don't realize sometimes and it's hard to pinpoint what you changed or why you changed it. It just happens naturally. So I think once he realized what it was and, and in his mind knew that he was able to handle what he needed to do to step his velocity back up to where it used to be and he, he wasn't going to get hurt because of it, I think when he cleared that mental hurdle, he was able to get back to where he was. And he was still trying to fight on his hand position on his slider. He wanted a little bit more depth on his slider. And I certainly think Brent Strom helped him with that and being able to see some of the things slow down that the Astros are able to provide with some video and things like that. And also a change in the grip of a changeup where he offset his changeup to take more speed off of it. Became a pretty good weapon for him against lefties. But a couple of little tweaks that the Astros were able to do to take him maybe, maybe to a, another level, but I, I don't think we can forget how awesome he was those two months before the Astros got him on that trade. If somebody had told you before the year that the Astros were going to win the World Series and their best pitcher was Justin Verlander on the team and the second best pitcher was this guy named Charlie Morton in the postseason, what would yeah. you think about that? Well, I remember seeing Charlie Morton on occasion two or three years ago and every once in a while just going, oh my gosh, how does this guy get hit? And it, it was almost just like McHugh, what Brent Strom did with him. And McHugh was a sinker-slider guy, pitched a contact. And Brent Strom changed into a four-seam overhand curveball, same type of window type of pitcher. But what, what he was able to do, and, and you just saw the confidence build in him. Every time I spoke to him, I almost saw a different level of confidence. And you just saw growth throughout the course of the season with Charlie Morton. He started to believe in what he was doing, and he was starting to reach that potential that everybody talked about. He felt like he was letting so many people down because he never reached that potential, whether it be his family or coaches or his organizations or whatever. But once he bought into the, the swing and miss and the, the elevated fastball and the, the little cut fastball and that nasty breaking ball, man, he's just something else. I mean, he just, you know, he's just 
cross your fingers that he can stay healthy next year to keep building on that confidence that uh, he built last year. And we saw the last four innings. You know, I was never able to get it out because I'd done some research toward the end of the World Series. What he was able to do, he did something in the, the last game of the World Series that no pitcher has ever done in a World Series. And that's the last 11 men he faced in a World Series. That's never been done by one person ever in a Game 7 to finish out a World Series, and Charlie Morton was able to do it. You're talking about having a 5-1 to one lead and not really having to sweat, you know, with him dominating the way he was. I mean, that was part of the beauty. That's what made things feel really good because you just really felt like he was in charge and you didn't have to go through all those matchups with everybody out of the bullpen and run four or five guys out there because Morton had it totally under control. And that's something we have to give credit to A.J. Hinch, too, because a, a, a big part of this postseason, we saw the bullpen struggle. Uh, Giles gave up runs when he was in the game. Really, the Astros having to go to their bullpen late, that was a, determined a weakness. And yet he went to starters. A.J. Hinch, of course, we remember in Game 7 against the Yankees, Lance McCullers comes in and, and finishes the game. Then Game 3, World Series, you have Brad Peacock come in finish out the game there. And then Game 7, as you mentioned, Charlie Morton. I, this is kind of how baseball, you can't do that during the regular season, but during the postseason, that might be kind of the prototype of the future. you got some really good starters, you know, and your bullpen yeah. struggling. Hey, just let them finish out the game. If your bullpen's struggling. So, right. And that was the, that was the case. So I'm thinking, and this is just me, and I haven't really spoken to anybody, and it's not my place to anyway. I'm thinking to have two long relievers in the first two or three months of the season is very good for a team. And we've seen the Astros do that on occasion. And when they do, it really sets everything up. Because if you have a clunker from a starter, you can have one of those long relievers come in, say it's the Brad Peacock for three innings, and you don't wreck the rest of the bullpen. Now, I thought Davinsky, I thought Will Harris and a couple other guys got overused this year, and I don't think they were as effective as they usually were when they were fully healthy because they got overused because you don't want to push some of these pitchers past 95 or five pitches sometimes, and if it takes them four or two-thirds to get to it, then man, you're really taxing your bullpen. I thought the Astros taxed their bullpen quite a bit in the first half of the season, and they ended up paying for it later. And I think the way to rectify that is have really two solid long relievers, whether it be, I mean, I don't know, this wouldn't be it, but see Peacock and Martez say, two long relievers that could just make sure you've got extra innings covered on it in any given day and you've got things covered in case you need to get one of your starters out there who struggles or has those labor innings that you, you don't want to really push them too far. And the other thing is the Astros played an extra month of this season and they're going to have to start resting some of these, players in spring training next year. I, I used to talk to Roger Clemens and Andy Pennant about it because they did it with the Yankees year after year. And once November hit, then they would not pick up a baseball until mid-December when everybody else picked it up, probably mid-November, picked a baseball back up and started doing those things. So the Astros are now a month behind schedule as far as weight training and, and actual rest and, and all of those things. So I think they're going to have to really pull back the reins in spring training, just make sure everybody's healthy and ready to go once the season starts. And it may be the case where guys aren't stretched out as far as they normally would because I think they're going to have to baby them more at the beginning of spring training. Of all the Astros, former players and people in the organization that have been around this team for such a long time, is there one or two of the guys that you can, in particular, you felt like it meant so much to them to see what happened? Because, you know, a lot of these guys that are Astros players – they haven't been here for that long, but the people that have been in the organization, this is, they've been waiting, everybody's waited such a long time for this. Yeah, Enos, Jose Cruz, 
Craig Vizio, Jeff Bagwell. Those are the four names that come to mind that I see at the ballpark all the time. I would say in particular, Jose Cruz and Enos Cabell, you know, who, who've worked in the organization and have been out in the communities for so many years and been such a staple of this, this organization and have had important roles as far as their input. You can say the same thing with Vizio and Bagwell, of course. But those four, those four players come to mind first for me because I see them so often at the ballpark and get a chance to talk to them. And they were as nervous as anybody in the playoffs. I mean, they, they became fans just like us you know, and get a chance to talk to guys and pass on your wisdom like those four ex-Astros do and, and, and see guys take some of that information and put it to, to use. You just feel like it's family. The Astros, and I think A.J. Hinch has done a really good job he's taken over is to keep everybody involved. We see Shane Reynolds a lot now. I don't know. You just see a lot more of the, the former players. Uh, Roy Oswald, more of those players coming to spring training and, and spending time with players. I think it means a lot to them. I think it's important for an organization to – recognize those guys that meant so much to the community and the organization when they played, but just to be able to share in the excitement and the joy of the city and the organization, once again, as former players, I think it's cool. We still want to enjoy this World Series, of course, uh, and the win and the title and Astros World Champions, but looking at, at next season, just kind of like brief overview, what what are you expecting this offseason for the Astros? Where do you think They'll try to. What, what do you think they'll try to target this off season? Probably a left-handed reliever. I mean, I, I have no inkling, so let's not run with it or anything. I would go after Otani. I don't know what it's going to take to to get Otani in the fold, but I think he's a, a great fit in this organization. I think he yeah. would slot in as that uh, left-handed DH. I think maybe as a, as a reliever for a year or two, and then slide into a rotation if you, if you lose a player or two. To free agency, and then I think that's your man. I mean, I I think he's a great fit for this organization. I would go after him. Yeah, all of baseball is going to be going after him, right? <laughs> they are. Yeah, but uh, all those other teams just didn't come off of a World Series and exactly. to be contenders for the next five years. You got a song for us, Sparky, to finish things off? Do you, can you give us something? Do I have a song? <laughs> yeah. How about I, Oklahoma? I just I just crossed I just crossed the Oklahoma border. You want to hear Oklahoma? Yeah, let's let's hear it. This is the only show tune I knew. Despite the fact when I was a player, I had it in my media guide. I love show tunes. I don't even know why I wrote that. No, I, I said I love to whistle show tunes. And that stayed with me. I was even on a couple of baseball cards. But here's the only show tune I know. It's because I'm from the state of Oklahoma. I'll give you a little bit, all right? All right. Oh, Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plain and the waving wheat. It sure smells sweet when the wind comes back behind the rain. Oklahoma, every night my honey lamb and I sit around and talk and watch a hawk making lazy circles in the sky. Oh, you know, we belong to the land and the land we belong to is grand. So when we say, you know you're saying we're doing fine, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, O-K-L-A-H-O-M-A, Oklahoma, okay. All right. <laughs> That's some great stuff. Was that bad? Was that, bad? Was that off too? Calling. You should on Broadway. That was great. Yeah, that was right. <laughs> That was right on the money. That was beautiful. I have. A, I think I got a tear in my eye. <laughs> Did you really? Thank you. That, may, that means the world to me. Well, all right. Before we finish up, I got one last question for you. 
which team right. in Major League Baseball is the World Series champion right now? Oh, is that beautiful? Houston Astros! <laughs> Houston Astros are world champs. Can you believe that? Astros champs, world champs, Houston Astros. It's the best. It's, it's the best, man. Everybody's going to be excited. We'll have those Astro line shows at Pluckers this offseason. It's gotten progressively more crowded every year as the team's gotten better. But uh, this year's going to be nuts. And this spring training's going to be ridiculous. It's just going to be a lot of fun for a long time. I can't wait. Yeah, Pluckers is just down the street from me. So uh, I'm going to come and visit you really? this, this time. Absolutely, yeah. What do they say? They say, uh, what is it about, uh, we'll give you the bird? Is that is that what it is? I should know this. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, their slogan is, uh, if you don't like our chicken, we'll give you the bird or something. <laughs> so that, place, that place is legit, though. It's, it's really fun. They do a good job. Hey, it has been a total blast, and we can't thank you enough for all the fun you gave us listening to you guys uh, during the season and the postgame and, and everything else. Looking forward to hearing the fantastic interviews in the off season, that should be so much fun. We can't get enough of it, you know. Be NRG, we've got ninety-two years of Astros between the two of us, so uh, we are super excited yeah. and so happy for everybody with the Astros organization. That's right, man. We're all in this together now, so let's just keep having fun. For more interviews, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, or if you're an Android user, download our free Houston Sports Talk app in the Google Play Store. We're also available on Stitcher or the TuneIn app, and our website is HoustonSportsTalk.net. Touchdown!